Those who cannot learn from history are doomed to repeat it. But before you can truly learn from the tales of our past, you must first understand them. And you're in luck because you found the one and only show that dives deep into the historical figures of our past and how key events have shaped the world that we live in today. You're tuned to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. Right here on WRFH, Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. With your host of today's show, Connor Bolanos. Welcome back, everyone, to another week of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. We're, today, we're going to be continuing our talks from last time about Alexis de Tocqueville. But we're going to more so be focusing on the political side of Tocqueville. Was he a conservative or was he a liberal? Because as we mentioned last time, he, on one hand, was in a number of conservative parties and he disliked the French Republic, but he also despised the July monarchy. So, and he also at one point advocated wage reforms, labor concerns. So it seems in one way Tocqueville could be labeled conservative, but in another way he could be labeled a liberal. So I think it's really important that if we really want to define Tocqueville and wrap up talking about Tocqueville, that we define what exactly he is and what he was fundamentally, liberal or conservative. And to do that, I think we're going to read over, we are going to read over today, one of his older works and the one that he wrote towards the end of his life, The Old Regime and the Revolution, which I really think gets into what his fundamental ideology is. But before we jump in into that, let's just recap real quick some quick things about Tocqueville in case you didn't hear about our last episode. Now, Tocqueville was born on the 29th of July, 1805, into a Norman, to a noble family in Normandy. His father and mother were both, in some ways, you could say refugees of the revolution. His father was a royal guard for the monarch, and his mother at one point barely escaped the guillotine. So these are two very prevalent influences on his life that probably affect the works that were about to read in the old regime and the revolution. He entered politics in 1839 under the Movement Party, which was affiliated at the time with the center-left of the French political party, the political system. In 1847, he sought to fund a new young left party, which would have advocated wage increases, a progressive tax, and other labor concerns in order to undermine the appeal of the socialists, who, as we mentioned last time, Tocqueville saw as the ultimate threat to the state the socialists and their agenda. Now, this was, however, interrupted with the coup, with the revolutions of 1848, where the Second Republic was proclaimed and Louis Napoleon was elected president. And during this time, from 1848 to 1851, he served the French Republic as not only a member of the Constitutional Committee, he also served in the government as a minister of foreign affairs as a member of the Party of Order, which was a conservative political party, but also that also contained prominent members who were relatively liberal, such as Adolphe Thiers, Francois Guizot, and Alexis de Tocqueville. So obviously, you can see from here, he's been in both mainly liberal parties, he's been in conservative parties, but these conservative parties have also had prominent liberals in them. So it's just a very confusing dichotomy of, is he actually liberal or is he actually a conservative? So to find out exactly and find the answer to the question of whether he's a conservative, a liberal, a liberal conservative, or maybe a conservative liberal, let's take a look at the old regime and revolution, his last work of writing, which talked about the old regime, that being the Bourbon monarchy before the revolution and the revolution itself. Now, 
in before I begin, I need to make clear exactly some of the key fundamental principles of French conservatism and French liberalism as we go through this. We're going to first start talking about human nature. And this is one of the few things that Tocqueville talks about in the preface of this work, human nature. Conservatives of the 19th century, really, and 18th century, see... Um, human nature is inherently bad. They see people as individualistic, greedy, and if left to their own devices without any sort of control from the government or the community, humanity will just essentially go in a downward spiral. In contrast, liberals largely believed in individual rights. They believed that human nature was good, and it was society, community, and an overarching, all-powerful government that corrupted man and led him to perform various sinful acts and things that harmed the community as a whole. And in the preface of the old regime and the revolution, we see where Tocqueville mentions this and he makes clear his stance. He says, quote, The first is that all men of our day are driven, sometimes slowly, sometimes violently, by an unknown force, which may possibly be regulated or moderated, but cannot be overcome towards the destruction of aristocracies. Now, this does talk about mainly aristocracies, but what it also talks about is inherently a desire for man to, in some way, be violent, for man to destroy existing institutions and whatnot. And he also mentions, quote, when men are no longer bound by caste, class, corporate, or family ties, they are only too prone to give their whole thought to their private interests and to wrap themselves up in, in a narrow individuality in which public virtue is stifled. So here, once again, Tocqueville is saying, if you remove community, if you remove the government, if you remove society, which you know the liberal French liberals say is corrupting the people, Tocqueville argues that man will be driven to individuality and will stifle public virtue. Now, this is an incredibly conservative viewpoint of what human nature is, and is really one of the more fundamental... Um, basis of Tocqueville's ideology. So in the case of human nature, Tocqueville is almost certainly a conservative rather than a liberal. Now, to make a clear distinction, liberal and conservative in the 19th century are not the same as conservative and liberal as we would define it in America. In America, liberal tends to identify more with the Democrats and bigger government, while conservative tends to, you know, focus in on smaller government and whatnot. But back in the 19th century, conservatism is more on a a focus on the community and of, in a sense, a more bigger government, mainly in the form of the king. Conservatives idealize the king. They believe in divine right monarchy, and they believe in a very strong central authority and not so much individual rights as modern conservatism would place its emphasis on. Meanwhile, liberals in the 18th, century, 18th 19th century focus a lot more on a smaller government, a less powerful king, and a lot more on individual rights. So just to make it very clear, there is a big distinction between liberalism and conservatism in the 19th century and what we would define today as, tw as 21st century American conservatism and liberalism. For anyone just tuning in, you're listening to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery with your host, Connor Bolanos, the show where we dive deep into the historical figures of our past to better understand our present. For all of you just tuning in, welcome back to another week of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. We just finished talking about Tocqueville's views of human nature, that being that man is individual, is inherently selfish, individualistic, and that in doing so, he stifles public 
uh, virtues, which in doing so places him in the conservative political camp for the 19th and 18th century. Now, the next part where we see Tocqueville's um, ideology really come out, and I think probably where we see it most strongly come out, is when he talks about the ideal form of government for the French state. And he talks about this in the way of centralization. So before the French Revolution, during the reign of the Bourbons, and across most of Europe, you had what is called the feudal triangle. You had at the top of this triangle the king, below him the clergy, below them the nobles, and below them the peasants and everyone else. Now, during this period where this triangle was dominant mainly, the, the nobles protected the peasants in exchange for the crops that the peasants made. The king had overall authority protecting all of them. The clergy provided spiritual guidance. And in a way, this provided a system of checks and balances and united everyone as each individual had certain roles. And because of what they were doing, they helped. They got certain privileges, like the nobles helped the king administer. And as a result, they got special tax exemptions. Now, this is a key focus for Tocqueville because Tocqueville argues that during the reign of Louis XIV, who you may also know as the Sun King, um, he greatly centralized and in doing so broke down this feudal triangle. King Louis basically abolished a lot of the power the nobles had. Tocqueville says, quote, in France, the only public department in which the nobles still had a hand was the administration of justice, end quote. Nobles no longer really held land. A lot of times they weren't that involved in government except for leading armies and whatnot. So you can see that the nobles are losing a lot of power. Around this time, the French clergy was still powerful, but um, French kings had a lot of authority and influence in regards to who was chosen as various church officials. So Tocqueville argues that this social, this triangle, this feudal triangle began to break down during the reign of Louis XIV. And this is what led to the French Revolution. He argues that the French triangle no longer became, you know, a triangle. It became kind of a straight line with every single branch underneath the king with equal authority and equal power. And he says the issue with this is mainly in regards to the lower class and the nobility. As I mentioned earlier, the nobility were landholders who, in exchange for serving the king and helping him administer, received tax exemptions. Now, as this feudal triangle broke down and nobles became impoverished due to their uh, lessening status, a lot of those in the lower class, especially as the bourgeoisie began to emerge and kind of created this weird position in the triangle where they didn't really exist, but at the same time, they were sometimes more powerful than the nobles, created this issue of, well, I'm a peasant, but I own land. And this noble also owns land, and he does the same job as me, but he gets tax exemptions. Why is that fair? So as Tocqueville says, quote, had the peasantry not been landholders, they would have paid no attention to many of the burdens laid by the feudal system on real estate. The feudal system, though stripped of its political attributes, was still the greatest of our civil institutions, but its very, curta very curtailment was the source of its unpopularity, end quote. By breaking down the feudal triangle, Tocqueville argues, the bonds that held everyone together in society, the various roles that checked and balanced everyone broke down, causing within people um, strife, strife between classes, and, and he also argues this is where you saw the emergence of class differences and the conflict between classes, is that it didn't really exist until people began to do the same jobs, but some got privileges while some didn't. So Tocqueville argues that this was a issue with the old regime, and he argues that this was the cause of the French Revolution, which inherently seems to put him in a more liberal camp, idealistically, because the French Revolution liberals agree that the centralization 
um, stripped people of their rights. He thinks that people should have greater political rights equal to the nobles because the nobles are so equal now to the peasants. However, this is very much not the case because Tocqueville later goes on to describe the revolution as a whole as, quote, radical. And no liberal of the time would necessarily call the revolution radical because a lot of French liberals of the 19th century idealized the French Revolution. They saw that as the perfect form of government, as a saving grace for the individual and for liberalism. Meanwhile, in contrast, the conservatives idealized the old regime and the reign of Louis XIV. They idolized the centralization. But Tocqueville disagrees with both of these viewpoints, which kind of puts him um, in, in a place where it's hard to define exactly where he is solely based off his writings in the old regime and revolution. But I think if we go and look at, you know, his involvement in politics as we talked about last episode. I think we can definitely place him more so in the conservative camp because when during the Second French Republic, he was in the Party of Order, which was a party of Orleanists and Bourbonists. So it, these were two very monarchist factions, and they were conservative factions. So I definitely think that we can see that um, Tocqueville was probably in favor for more of a parliamentary-styled... Um, Monarchy, a constitutional monarchy, kind of similar to what the United Kingdom, Great Britain had during the time period. Now, having discussed um, Tocqueville's kind of positioning between liberals and conservatives in regards to the ideal style of government for France and whether he should idolize the old regime or whether he should idolize the, the Republic and the French Revolution, um, and having talked about his views of human nature, I think it's about time that we get to the stuff that I think definitely puts Tocqueville at least fundamentally within the conservative camp of French politics. And I think this can be most seen in regards to primarily starting off his views of religion. Now, for Tocqueville, he says that religion is incredibly important because, quote, when the French Revolution overthrew civil and religious laws together, the human mind lost its balance. Men knew not where to stop or what measure to observe, end quote. This indicates that for Tocqueville, religion serves as a moral guiding principle and that a lot of the violence that occurred in the revolution wouldn't have happened if church institutions hadn't been weakened and abolished. And for Tocqueville, this is one of the greatest things that was wrong with the revolution. Um, a lot of French liberals um, believed mainly either in a deism, which was uh, you know kind of a sense of irreligion, um, or they believed in toleration, which toleration isn't a bad thing. That's something that a lot of us, you know, especially in the modern day, agree with, and something that a lot of French liberals fought for. But they definitely didn't see the necess necessity of the church and its involvement within the state. But Tocqueville disagreed and saw the church as playing a vital role in the state and society by providing these guiding moral principles. However, Tocqueville acknowledges that the revolution targeted these because, quote, the church, moreover, appeared the weakest and most defenseless out of all the outworks which lay before them, meaning that the church was, out of all the various institutions of the old regime, one of the weakest. And although the church had a completely separate role from the administration of France— which, you know, would, in some ways, you could argue, would mean, why would you target that? The church is, sure, it does some things that you could disagree with, but it's not inherently part of the old regime. But Tocqueville argues that the old regime the old regime and the church have been tied together for so, so long, even though they're distinct in their um, roles and their powers, simply because it's always upon the clergy and divine right theory that the king assumes and has his authority, 
and it's from and it's through the church that they also get some certain privileges and whatnot. So these two institutions, Tocqueville argues, although having different roles and being completely different, one subservient to the Pope, the other to the king, they were just so intertwined because of their relationship that the revolution targeted them, and because the church was so weak, the church was just torn down. And Tocqueville says that, quote, no attempt was made to raise up another religion on its ruins, end quote. And this was really what he thought was one of the great disasters of the revolution, the complete loss of religion, the downfall of France into an irreligion, and with it, men lost their way, and they performed the violent acts such as the Reign of Terror and all these other things that led to the revolution being branded as radical and this terrible thing by a lot of French conservatives. So I think that this saying from Tocqueville and this writing specifically really clearly dictates Tocqueville as being a conservative, especially on religious matters when it comes to the French Revolution. If you're not reading and learning history, then you're doomed to repeat it. For all of you just tuning in, you're listening to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery with your host, Connor Bolanos. For all of you just tuning in, welcome to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. As we approach the end of our episode, we just got done talking about Tocqueville's view on the importance of the state and its relationship with the church. Uh, And Tocqueville believes that the church is essential to providing moral guiding principles and that when the church was destroyed and weakened in the French Revolution, uh, man lost their way, man lost its moral guiding principles, and society as a whole lost its morality, leading to the reign of terror, the various executions, and a lot of the terrible things that happened during the revolution. And this is very in line with the conservative ideology of the 19th century, who believed that church and state together formed a very strong relationship and formed the backbone of the moral principles of the community and society, which helped deter the vices of man and their human nature. So this incident definitely puts Tocqueville in the more conservative camp. So, so far we've seen, at least from this particular writing, more evidence of Tocqueville being conservative than actually liberal. And I think another point where we can see this is in where he criticizes the actual birth of the revolution and those who birthed it. He says, quote, These writers were naturally tempted to indulge unreservedly in an abstract and general theories of government. They had no practical acquaintance with the subject. Their ardents were undamped by actual experience. They knew of of no existing facts which stood in the way of desirable reforms. They were ignorant of the dangers inseparable from the most necessary revolutions and dreamed of none, end quote. So for Tocqueville, the people who dreamed of the revolution weren't so much the, the lower class, the people who began to have strifes about the nobility. It was more so these grand philosophes in saloons of France who sat there kind of as members of the bourgeoisie dreaming of, oh, wouldn't it be great if we had a republic? Wouldn't it be great if we did this, this, and this? So for Tocqueville, this is a very utopian kind of um, thought. They had no actual practical experience. They didn't know how anything would work. And he argues that the lower classes took the ideas, these abstract grand ideas of the philosophes without any actual practical backing and executed the revolution. So the execution was dreamed by those who knew nothing and the execution was similarly uh, done out by those who knew absolutely nothing, which kind of just laid the foundations for the revolution being a mess, a failure, and leading to essentially what would be the replacement of centralization with more centralization. And I think this is, while be it not something that really defines 
uh, Tocqueville is either conservative or liberal, I think it's an important point to touch on. This idea of continuity, which kind of sidetracks us from our talk about liberal, but I think for the importance of this piece, it's important to discuss it. So the idea of continuity for Tocqueville is essentially that centralization and power doesn't disappear. When, he, when they eliminated the old king of France, all the power that belonged in him didn't disperse or suddenly disappear. In a way, kind of like the law and conservation of matter, stuff just doesn't go away. It either rearranges itself or it just continues existing. And for Tocqueville, he thought says it continues existing in the same place. The king becomes a directory who instituted the reign of terror and held in some sense the exact same powers that the king did and then the directory came to be replaced by napoleon bonaparte so despite the revolution and its desires to overthrow the centralized power that the king had nothing actually occurred from the revolution according to Tocqueville, except the really the elimination of the feudal system as a whole the feudal system was already weakened because of louis the 14th but Tocqueville argues that the only thing that actually resulted from the revolution was the official disbandment of the feudal system. And so, as Tocqueville says, quote, the despot fell, but the most substantial portion of his work remained. His administrative system survived his government, end quote. So having looked at this reading, I, I think we can say that fundamentally Tocqueville was a conservative at heart. And despite some who would want to call him a liberal because of his advocacy for minimum wage, for labor concerns, increased wages, and greater representation, I don't think that these were necessarily fundamental beliefs that Tocqueville had. I think these were actually just more so prudent decisions that Tocqueville thought was necessary. Keep in mind, Tocqueville thought that Socialism was the greatest threat to the French state, and he sought to do everything necessary to prevent its rise to power. So I think in order to, gain, to give some concessions to those who may join the socialists, Tocqueville saw it necessary to give these liberal um, concessions. So I don't think it was necessarily a matter of Tocqueville actually believed in these principles. I think it's more so Tocqueville thought that these were the only things able to prevent the rise of socialism. So it was better to implement some evil in order to prevent the occurrence of a greater evil. So despite all that, I think at its very core, because of his views on religion, because of his views on human nature, because of his disapproval and unidealization of the revolution, which French liberals almost certainly did, I think it's almost certain that we can define Tocqueville as not being really a as a liberal, as many would define him in more modern days. I think it's better to describe him as being a conservative who was prudently liberal and made prudent decisions as it was as time demanded in order to prevent the rise of socialism within France. And with that, that'll be it for this week of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. Come join us next week as we explore another historical topic from our past. And that's all the time we have left today for you history buffs. There's many more historical figures from our past to discuss, so be sure to join us same time, same place, next week for a new edition of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery with your host, Connor Bolanos.